I just want to, um, I'm going to continue on kind of what Daniel spoke about last week. And Daniel spoke about, if you weren't here, um, loving yourself. And the Bible says, uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor, right? And so if we don't realize our value in Christ, then we have no value to give, right? And so I want to talk about how do we measure ourselves? Because whether we realize it or not, we actually always are measuring our success. Whether it's in work, whether it's in school, whether it's in health, whether it's in relationship, like in school you have grades and it kind of lets you know where you're at. And in work you get raises, you know, maybe you get promoted. In health, you're either trying to, you know, lose weight or gain muscle or whatever. There's these ways in which you measure yourself and subconsciously, whether you realize it or not, you're constantly measuring and evaluating yourself. And so in terms of Christianity, how do you measure your success? How do you measure where you're at? And in Proverbs um, 11.1, it says it pleases the Lord when you use the right standard of measurement. So how do we measure ourselves and what's the right standard of measurement? And actually in that word, standard of measurement, the, the, the Hebrew word actually is, they're using is, um, for measurement is the perfect stone. And so back in the day, and we've all probably used these, you had your balance scale, yeah? So you put something on this side, if it's heavier, it goes down, and the lighter one goes up, yeah? If they're equal, then it's balanced, and it's the same weight, yeah? So the word that they would use for the perfect stone was they would get one pound, they knew it was one pound, and they'd put it on one side, and they'd have this container of, of stones that they would use, and they would go through it until they would find the perfect stone, which was balanced to the one pound, and they would mark it as such. And that would be called the perfect stone, the one that equally matched the other stone, yeah? So how do we measure ourselves as Christians? How do we measure how we're doing? You know, I think a lot of times in the Christian world, we're looking at Christian leaders and saying, whoa, look at that person. I want to be like that person. You know, we talked like Bill Johnson or whoever that person is, Todd White in your life. They're like, oh my gosh, they look so much like Jesus. And a lot of times, whether it's your pastor, whether it's your friend, whether it's your parents, you use these standards of measurements. But I would like to say none of those are the right standard of measurements. Because I believe what the only standard of measurement that we should actually use to measure ourselves is the perfect stone, which is Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I love when the answer is Jesus. It's like, woo, that's so easy. Jesus, Sunday school answer. Um, the perfect stone is Jesus. He's our rock. He's our foundation. He's our cornerstone. And so therefore, our standard of measurements which we are supposed to live by as Christians, is Jesus. Now, how many of you guys, you're like, whoa, we're supposed to be like Jesus? Yes, because the Bible told me so. Um, but in Ephesians, um, in Ephesians, 
man, I lost my note. I have like two sets of notes going on, and I lost my marker in this one. Um, 4.15. I guess I could just look it up. Um, actually, I just found it. So Ephesians 4.15 says, or 4.13 says, Until... We reach the unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, obtaining to the fullness of Christ. So what's our standard of measurement? The fullness of Christ. (laughs) How many of you guys, that sounds pretty weighty? (laughs) That sounds pretty weighty, yeah? And I believe it's supposed to be weighty. I believe... This Christian walk is actually supposed to be impossible by your own strength because you're supposed to need God in order to fulfill what he's called you to. Because with God, all things are possible, yeah? So if he calls us to be like himself, it's because he wants, it's an invitation for a relationship which we can walk with him to obtain what he's calling us to, which is to look like himself. And so a lot of times, instead of trying to look like Christ, what we do is we put our pastor on one scale or we put a leader that we look up to on one scale and we're saying, all right, I got to obtain to that. And the reality is, guess what? Jesus has only made one of you. Jesus has only made one of them. So guess what? If you put them on one side, guess what? You'll never be equal, right? Because you were never supposed to be. So you know you ever step on the scale and it says error? (laughs) You put somebody else on that scale, guess what? Error. Because there's no one else that can equal them. And there's no one else that can equal you because no one was supposed to be somebody else. They were only supposed to be what God created them to be. And every single person carries a different identity and image and personality of what God is supposed to be like on the earth and whenever we look like anything else we are giving a misrepresentation of who he is and so when I say yes it does seem weighty for us to be like Christ but the reality is I think sometimes it is that way is because when we think of God if God was weighty and heavy in his glory it's like boom and then we're like we think we're like way up here so then we're like, man, how do I get how do I bridge that gap between where I am and where Jesus is and who Jesus is? And that seems like a great distance and it feels like how am I supposed to equal him who's so amazing and so good? And that might feel right to say that, but in reality, when you think about the revelation of Christ in you, all of a sudden this gap is like So all of a sudden, when I realize actually it's Christ and me, the hope of glory, who God is, who feels so far apart, all of a sudden becomes so close. Because why? Because he lives inside of you. So the weight of who he is inside of you makes this connection where there's not this gap anymore. It's right here. Because the reality is, grace will only empower you to be like Christ. Grace will not empower you to be like somebody else. God will not anoint you to be someone you're not supposed to be. He'll only anoint you and give you grace to be like Him. So why do we feel insecure 
Why do we feel like we don't add up? Maybe it's because we have been trying to be something that Christ has never called us to be. He's never called us He's never called us to be anybody else but ourselves. And that grace which empowers us to be like Him is what we should be living from. Does that make sense? And so, I, you know, so often my my heart so desires us to be what He's called us to be. Because I believe if we were to see who he's called us to be, we would never want to be anybody else. You know, there's, there's these organizations, there's these great, powerful, you know, even you look at every denomination and all of the denominations came from a person who lived sold out and on fire for God. Like you look at the Methodists, you had John Wesley on fire for God. You look at... Um, now I'm going to blank out on everybody. Um, yeah, you look at the Lutherans. You look at um, um, Martin Luther. Yeah, you look at Martin Luther. You look at all these great Christian leaders, Oral Roberts. You know, you look at these great people who were so significant to the body of Christ. And often what you see is they create, you know, the Methodists. You look at the Methodists and you track back to John Wesley who was like, a, a ball of fire, you know, people would like fall out of trees because they would be like, they'd try and hear him preach and then they get hit by God and they'd be like on the ground, you know, and it was just a crazy man. And now you look at the Methodist church and you're like, what happened? And I'm not saying, you know, obviously I'm sure there's Methodist church that are on fire for God. Um, because in every stream, I think there's, you know, but you look at it as a whole and you look at even some of the things that like, the things that they're going after as far as like, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I won't even go into it, but it's like, whoa, where did you get that? And I would like to say it's probably because they made the standard John Wesley and eventually you get down the line and, and it's not looking like Jesus anymore. Because I love what Bill Johnson said. He says like, if you, if you are trying to, let's say, you know, I'm a carpenter, so I can relate to this. So if you're trying to make a foot-long um, cut, and let's say you cut it, and <clears throat> so then you're, you're at one foot, and then you use your sample, and you cut off the sample, and then you cut off the sample, and the sample, and the sample, all of a sudden you're way far off from the beginning piece, right? And so often in Christianity, what we do is you look on the at these on-fire for these people are on fire for God and we make them the model. And then we wonder why we get so far off and we're like, whoa, that didn't even look like the original. Because that one person actually sought after Jesus and they were who God created them to be on the earth. And we can look at them and say, whoa, that's amazing. And it's good to do that. But we can only take who they are and what they did to follow after Jesus. Because two fathers in the faith, what they do is they teach you how to connect to Jesus and to God. And so, you know, I love these people who are setting, you know, the Todd White, a Bill Johnson, a Heidi Baker, these people who are just marking history. But I think all of us should be our own 
person who God called us to be. And I believe as we become who God called us to be, the world will look at that and be like, oh my God, whoa. The way that person lives their life, the way they love their family, the way they do life with God so impacts my life. Why? Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so, when we judge when we judge ourselves outside of Christ, you know, it says there's therefore in Romans 8.1, 8, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But do you realize there is condemnation if you're outside of Jesus? Let me explain myself. So, you realize also it says in, in 2 Corinthians uh, three nine that if the ministry it's referring to the law that brought condemnation was glorious how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness so do you realize outside of Christ there is condemnation you want to know why because if you're trying to fulfill and get in right standing with God through your own effort you will always fall short because you cannot make yourself righteous before God so when we take ourselves and we judge ourselves outside of Christ, we actually condemn ourselves. And many of us, what we do is we look at our lives and we say, man, that doesn't line up with Jesus. I'm terrible or I am failing or I am falling short. But what we're doing is we were never supposed to see ourselves outside of Jesus. Because the only way we can fulfill the stature and the fullness of Christ is with Jesus inside of us. So everything that is not Jesus inside of us is going to fail. And it's supposed to, it's supposed to fail. And it should fail. Because he cares about relationship with us. Does that make sense? And so I think another thing that doesn't allow us to measure ourselves rightly and doesn't allow us to be Christ-like is, is pride. And, and I want to define that because I think there's actually two types of pride. So there's one pride that we could probably all point out and we're like, yeah, that's pride. Like, you know, the, the, the person who's, you know, constantly doing all these great works and they're thinking like, I'm the man, I got it going on, look at me. And everything is about their own effort to make themselves great, yeah? And we would easily say that's pride, you know? Like, boom, pride, gotcha. Um, and then the second type of pride is, is actually what, I see a lot in the body of Christ, which is a false humility. So what is false humility? I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, he says, um, now I don't know what he says. Um, <laughs> cause I wasn't mean to be Bill Johnson. No, um, um, he says that basically pride is, or how may I do it? Do you remember? False humility. I think it's thinking, right? False humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. Meaning, about yourself less. Meaning, 
<laughs> Let me just explain it because that was probably the biggest tongue twister ever and didn't make sense. But basically, if I'm thinking poorly of myself, that is not humility. Rather, humility is, you know, if I'm still the subject of my own thoughts all the time, how many of you guys know that's still pride? Why? Because it's still all about me. And so, so often we play this game as Christians like, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace, and we downplay our significance thinking that it's humility, but what it actually is, is pride because we're still the source. And so, humility is this, is recognizing the source. If Christ lives inside of you, then you should be pretty dang great. <laughs> Why? Because he lives inside of you. <laughs> Am I right? You know, it says that he made everything after its own kind. You know, an apple tree bears an apple tree. A monkey still makes a monkey. Contrary to popular belief. <laughs> a human creates a human. God calls us sons and daughters. We're made after his own image and his own kind. So therefore, if we keep thinking less of ourselves, what are we saying about him? What are we saying about him? How terrible would it have been if, if, you know, God says, my, only, my one and only son is going to come to this earth. And, and not only that, angels are going to pronounce his coming and kings are going to come and he's going to be the savior of the world. And Jesus grows up and here he is gossiping about people. He's like dishonest. He's lying. He's cheating people. Like that would be like a big bummer, right? And how terrible is it uh, for us when we're called sons and daughters of God that we would be so prideful to think that we are such less than when he's called us for himself to live inside of us and for us to project his glory upon the earth. So the reality is, is yes, when we live apart from God, we can live our life can fall apart, but when we live with God, what can God do inside of man? I'll tell you, God inside of man looks like a son or daughter of God who's glorious. Are you guys okay with that? You see, if we don't, the reason why that feels uncomfortable to say is because we're boasting in our own failures rather than boasting in what Jesus did on the cross. Because if you're more impressed with your failures, then what you're saying is, Jesus, what you did on the cross was not powerful enough to deliver me from sin and everything that I've ever done wrong. What we're saying is, actually, Jesus, I'm more powerful than my failures, and this is who I am. And Jesus is saying, no, actually, I'm more powerful than your sin and your failures, and I took them, and if you'll lay them at my feet, I will actually make you who I intended you to be. So who's more powerful, you or God? See, we don't look at it that way. 
We don't look at it as a prideful thing. We look at it as like, oh. But it is a prideful thing because we're more confident in our failures than we are his cross. I thought Jesus took away all of our sins. I thought he made us not sinners but saints. See, if we boast in him and what he's done, then what happens is we have confidence in who he is. It stops becoming about us and it starts to becoming about him. Because if we're made in his image and our eyes are still on ourselves, who am I becoming if my eyes are like this? Oh, I stink. Oh, I'm terrible. Oh, I'm a sinner. Who am I becoming? Myself, not created in his image. What happens when all of a sudden I look up and declare who he is and whom he made me to be? All of a sudden my eyes are focused on him and I'm able to actually become him because whatever I behold, I become. And so there's two things. I went down a rabbit hill. There's two types of pride. There's pride and the arrogant way, which I think actually a, a person who really represents that is King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was a king um, over the Babylonians and in, in, in that time he also uh, was over the Israelites. And, and while he was king, um, he obviously did not know God and therefore he had um, taken some people in as his counsel, and some of those people were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then there was, there was Daniel, you know? And, and they were all advisors to the king, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel all knew God. And so, long story short, we all kind of know the story, is the king um, has this dream, he can't interpret it, his, his, the people who, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were all told by God, hey, I don't want you to eat of the delicacies of the king. Rather, I want you to fast and eat, you know, fruits and veggies where we get the Daniel fast. And it says that they were given wisdom more than anybody else. And so all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and no one else can interpret it, but Daniel interprets it. And essentially, he told King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, you're going to be great. Your kingdom's going to prosper and, and all these things. And so ne- King Nebuchadnezzar is like, oh yeah, praise God. Yeah, and he's like bowing down to God and everything. And then just a little bit later after that, he's erecting this huge golden statue and telling everybody, hey, you need to bow down and worship this statue. And so we know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they won't bow down, so the king throws them in the furnace. And then all of a sudden, there's a fourth man in the fire. They come out unscathed, and King Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh my gosh, praise be to God. And he's like bowing down, worship him, blah, 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 everybody, yeah. And then, all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom starts to prosper, and he has this thought, man, I am so great, look at what I've been able to do with this kingdom, and how amazing I am. And all of a sudden, he has another dream, and basically, in the dream, Daniel says, hey, because you thought this was all about you, and you did this all on your own, guess what? I'm going to make you like a wild beast, And so I just want you to picture, think of your favorite president, like the one who just was the most awesome in your eyes. And all of a sudden, in a moment, they're like crawling on the ground, like scratching and like snorting and growling. And all of a sudden, like this is King Nebuchadnezzar, like went from this super successful guy who 
brought about all this prosperity and all of a sudden in a moment, God takes it away and he's like, like growling and crazy man, you know? And so this happens for seven years and then all of a sudden he has this thought, man, everything that had ever happened, all the success I had was all because of God. And instantly when he had that thought, his mind came back into it came back into order and he actually then became the most even more successful than he was because he realized the source of his success came from God. So I say that because so often what we can do and how we can measure ourselves in in Christianity is we put our gifts on one side, what we're gifted in our abilities and we think Wow, I can prophesy. Wow, I can pray for the sick. Wow, I can do all of these things which are all good. And we measure our success and who we are based upon giftings. And when that happens, guess what? That equals a big fat zero. Because Romans 8, it says that basically every single religious duty we do will always make a, give us a fear of never being good enough. Because you will never feel like you're enough when you put gifts on the one side. You'll always feel so far apart from who you were called to be because you're not supposed to be defined by your gifts and your abilities. And so often when pride comes in, we start measuring ourselves based upon what we can do for God. And you could even be a successful teacher. You can be a counselor. You can even have a mega church and be impacting tons of people. But if you are measuring yourself based upon your gifts, you will never feel adequate. Why? Because it was all about Jesus inside of you. It was all about relationship from the beginning. And everything successful, guess what? Jesus actually wants you to be successful. You realize once, he re- once King Nebuchadnezzar realized his source of success, all of it was returned to him. You realize that anything, any value you place on something outside of Christ, you realize that actually puts it vulnerable to the enemy. And any time we have something that's, that's, that we actually place outside of Christ, and that's actually vulnerable. But if I place what Jesus has given me in his hands, you want to know what happens in his hands? He actually blesses it. And it actually increases. Why? Because it's in its right place. And anything that we value outside of Jesus will always be up for grabs. But anything that's inside of Jesus is inside of us, and it's not up for grabs. Does that make sense? And so, another, the other version is the pride cloaked in humility. And, like I said, this, this plays out a lot of ways in, in Christianity. And it's us thinking less... I'm not going to try and say that one again. <laughs> Essentially, when we become the subject, we will always find ourselves condemned because we're not the subject. We're not the source. He's the subject and the source. And when we find our value outside of who he is, we'll always feel condemned because we won't be walking as children of God. And so a great example of this is, 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 is Saul. And I want to compare David and Saul and how they saw themselves. 
a tongue twister. And so David, everyone loves David. You know, when David was actually supposed to be anointed as king, Samuel, he was told by God, hey, there's a boy from, from uh, Jesse's family. I want you to go anoint him. And I love this because Je- uh, Samuel goes to anoint David because he was told by God. And Jesse brings all of his boys. And David's not there, which tells you Jesse probably didn't think he had what it took to be a king. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Sam- God tells Samuel, hey, do not look, at a- look on his appearance or his height or stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So I love that verse, but I also think it's kind of funny, you know, because if, if God's like, hey, don't look at appearance or stature, you know, you could just picture David's probably like, like a little boy, you know, like, and, and so he's like, I'm not looking at that. I'm actually looking at the heart. And so eventually, Samuel's like, God's like, "Ah, none of these are the guy. And then so eventually they get David. Samuel anoints David as king. But in that time period, Saul was king. And so David's just a little boy, shepherd boy. You know, the only people he's leading are his sheep, you know. And he probably like, you know, he's a shepherd boy probably for a reason because no one else wants to be around him. Like that was just a shepherd boy back in the day was not like the person you wanted to be. And so... Anyways, David one day, we know, goes out to bring his brother supplies. What does David do? He kills Goliath. Man, you guys know that, right? David kills the Goliath. All right, we're about to, we're about to go back to Bible 101. So David kills Goliath, and I, I don't want to go into the whole story. I, I want to give you a brief summary. But David kills Goliath, and all of a sudden, David gives courage for the whole army to go kill all of the Philistines, Yeah. And so they take out all the Philistines. And after the battle, the army comes in and and word has gotten out what David has done. And so people are lining the streets and they're singing this song. You know, you could just picture AJ on the drums, just killing it. And they're singing, David or Saul has killed thousands of men. But David has t- killed 10,000 of men. And everyone's like, yeah, like, whoa, David. And they're just like, David, you know, you could just picture it. And everyone's like, and then here you have Saul, who's the king, who probably should have led the army. But Saul, you need to know something about Saul. It actually says in the Bible that Saul was a head taller than any other man. And he it was better looking than the sons of Israel. So you could just imagine Thor, right? Just stout dude, good looking dude, Thor. But it says about Saul that he thought small of himself. Did everyone hear that? He thought small of himself. So here's David. He doesn't have the appearance. He doesn't have the stature, but he has the heart, yeah? Yeah? Everybody loves the person with the heart, right? And so, all of a sudden, because Saul thinks small of himself. Now, let me remind you, Saul is actually king. So, he's anointed as king. But all of a sudden, he sees a threat. Who's the threat? David. Why? 
Because Saul thinks small of himself. Because the reality is, if he was truly a king, what Saul would do would be, oh my goodness, David, wow, I see that you have this heart. I see that you have this potential. I want to promote you. I want to lift you up because I know, listen, a great king promotes people and he uses his power and his influence and his favor to create big, strong, powerful people. A great leader promotes good, big, powerful people. But guess what? A person who doesn't know who he is, you want to know what he does? Any person is a threat to his identity because if they become great, then all of a sudden they become better than me. Why? Because my measurement of myself now isn't Christ, it's actually somebody else. And if they become greater than I am, all of a sudden my value and my identity is threatened because I value my identity through what I do. So what does Saul do? He goes on this crazy, crazy, he was possessed by demons because he got so jealous that every single time he saw David, even though David again and again would show his loyalty to Saul and serve him and be faithful, Saul still wanted to kill him. So isn't it crazy that someone can actually be anointed and chosen by by God to be a king, but yet the whole time they're a king, they're trying to kill off anybody else who threatens their identity. He was a king, yeah? Well, guess what? You can be a son and a daughter of God, and you can actually live like, a, like an orphan. And you can, everyone who gets attention from God or gets, looks like, whoa, they're, they're doing, you know, there's favor on their life. You can be a son and a daughter of God and still try and compare yourself to everybody else and in your own eyes you can feel small. Isn't that crazy? You can be king and try and destroy anybody else who shows value. You can be a son or a daughter of God and you can still try and kill off anybody else who makes you feel insecure. Why? Because you're getting your identity from someone that never has the ability to give you any significance. Why? Because you were never supposed to be anybody else. You were supposed to be you with God inside of you. So what keeps us from us with God inside of us? It's us not measuring ourselves rightly and not seeing ourselves the way God has designed us to be. It's, it's my passion. You know, I, I work with the youth and, and I think, man, what would a high school look like? You know, have you guys ever been, you, you guys were in high school, right? You have this group, that group, this group, that group. And everyone else is trying to be accepted, yeah? What would it look like for a whole high school, every single person know their identity and their value within a high school I don't think there would be groups I think people join groups because they want to feel acceptance but what if they got acceptance from the father now, I'm using a high school because it's so easy to think about but what about the church 
<laughs> you guys are like, yeah, amen. Those high schools need Jesus. Yes. And all of a sudden, what about the church? Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, snap. You know, what would it look like for us to be the body of Christ? See, the model is, is follow Jesus. You want to know what's hard about that? Is Jesus looks different inside of me than he does you. You want to know why that's difficult for a lot of us? Is because there's this thing called control. <laughs> and there's this thing that says if, if, if I don't know what it looks like, it makes me scared. You know, everyone wants to go to McDonald's because you go to McDonald's and you get the same hamburger if you're on the East Coast versus the West Coast, right? It's standard. And a lot of times there's the standard rules because, you know, you ever wonder where those weird, crazy laws and rules come from? Like, like there's some weird ones. Like, don't chew gum on, like, Friday. Like, there's weird state laws that come from these. And it all came from one incident, right? This is not even where I'm going. I should just shut this thing down. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, is so often we're so afraid of missing the mark and we're so afraid of failure that we want to make everything the same. Because if it's the same, then guess what? All of a sudden, we don't have to worry about th this one person doing something crazy or this going that way. And so therefore, if we create rules and laws to keep everybody the same, then we can manage things and we can stay in order and align and we'll feel okay. But there's this thing called relationship. And I don't know about you guys, but it's actually pretty messy. And if you don't believe that, then you're probably isolating yourself. <laughs> because relationship is messy. And if you don't think so, you can come and do a summer camp with me. Or you can work with youth. Or, or, because, you know, adults, we at least look like we have it going on. But in reality, sometimes we're just big kids, yeah? But sometimes we know how to behave ourselves a little bit better. Or at least make it look like that. Where the heck am I going? I'm saying that because I think a lot of times we're not becoming all that Jesus has called us to be because sometimes it's a little bit messy. You know, when the disciples wanted to call down fire from heaven on a town, Jesus didn't shut them down. You realize like most of us, if, if we had a ministry team that wanted to go f call fire down from heaven, we'd say, hey, you need to sit out for like a while, <laughs> a long time. And we would make a rule that says don't pray for anybody. But what Jesus does is he always empowers us to be like himself and therefore he doesn't disqualify us. And so, so often what we're doing as the body of Christ is we're trying to control. Therefore, we're trying to disqualify other people because as long as I'm in control, then I can control you. 
If as long as, as I like think about Saul, as long as no one comes up to my level, as long as I kill David, then I don't have any threats. And, and I, you know, I went to BSSM in Bethel and there's like thousands of big leaders doing big things and all of them look different. You want to know why? Because I believe Bill Johnson has the heart of a father and was able to promote people and lift people up because his identity was on Christ. And what I'm saying is so often we, there's too many brothers leading places and places of leadership where they're so afraid of people having significance because it devalues their significance. So, I am totally off track. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is the only way to measure ourselves is based upon Christ. And I believe if all of us can individually say, Father, what is the grace on my life and how do I live it and walk it out? Oh boy. We would walk and see the greatest things ever. And so my passion for us is, is to live what he says about our lives. And, and the crazy thing is, is, is what I've discovered is we can only get that identity from him. Can you imagine David, a shepherd boy, thinking, man, I'm supposed to be a king one day. Can you imagine him telling his brothers as a shepherd boy? Yeah, right, dude. And so often we're getting our identity from brothers and we need to be getting our identity from the Father. And so I want to pray for us, but first I want us to ask a question. Jesus, how am I measuring myself? Am I measuring myself based upon my works, based upon my gifts, based upon my brothers, based upon this? And then, lead us, says my wife. <laughs> Am I measuring myself based upon my gifts? Am I measuring myself based, like do I watch other people and think, man, if I could just become like them or if I could just, like we almost see another Christian leader and we're like, oh, I, I'm not that great. And so I want us to ask the Father, say, Father, in our own, or you can say it out loud, Father, how am I measuring myself? And you know, David, Saul asked David, hey, do you want to wear my armor when he was going out to kill Goliath? And, and David said, no, that doesn't fit me. And I want you, like, whatever he just showed you, I just want you to take off what you've been carrying that's not yours to carry, 
And I just want you to see it in front of you. And I want you to go to the feet of the Father and lay it before Him. I just see God just anointing you. I just feel Him releasing peace over your mind and your heart. And then I want you to ask, Father, what is the grace? What is the thing you want to give me? so that I can become all that you've created me to be. And right now, I just break off the lie of insignificance over you. I break off false humility and I break off pride in any voice that says, I don't have what it takes. Any voice that says, I don't measure up. Any voice that says, yeah, but. And I want to remind you, you, <laughs> there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And I just see even some of you are like, I feel like what you gave me is not very great. And I just want to remind you, David had a slingshot. It doesn't matter what you have. It matters if it's what God has given you. Because what he gives you is so significant. And it's not never small in his eyes. And so, Father, I thank you for your grace and your empowerment to live a life fully with what you had in mind for us. And God, as we do that, I pray that we would raise up other people to live who they were created to be with never the fear of not being enough. And so, Father, we bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Love you. Um, I just want to encourage you. Give someone a, a, an encouraging word before you leave. So we all need encouragement, yeah? So, and if there's anyone who's like, I need encouragement, actually, we'll just open up. We used to do the hot seat. Let's do the hot seat.